The strength of the rebound in container shipping the past months have taken the market somewhat by a surprise. For how long can the current strength continue? And how does a company like MPC Container Ships position themselves to benefit from the positive momentum in the market? We'll discuss this and more in today's episode. Welcome to Utbytte, the DMB podcast where we explain the financial markets and the global economy. My name is Marius Brunhaugen from DNB Markets, and today I'm joined by Konstantin Bak, the CEO of MPC Container Ships. Thanks for joining us, Konstantin. It's great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks. Uh, uh, likewise, Marius. Thanks for having me and looking forward to discussing the market with you. Yeah, it's uh, been a volatile and hectic year, I can imagine. So uh, this should uh, definitely be an interesting uh, session. And uh, we're also joined by my colleague, lead shipping analyst uh, Jörgen Lian here at DNB Markets. Uh, always good to have you on board, uh, Jörgen. Happy to be here, Marius. So you and I will take uh, turns uh, asking questions to Konstantin uh, today. But uh, first, I think it's a good idea if you could give us the short wrap of the container shipping markets here to date, Jörgen. What's the story? Yeah, sure. As you mentioned, it's been an incredibly volatile year once the the COVID-19 disruptions hit. And that's also following a year that was perhaps a bit plagued by trade war tensions in 2019. And if you look at the container volumes, how they sort of collapsed year on year down close to 10% by by Q2 this year, uh, things were looking to to head in a negative direction. And then all of a sudden, uh, over the summer, things have turned uh, quite dramatically. And right now you're seeing rates you haven't seen in a very, very long time, uh, driven by uh, recovery and stimulus and and, and, and all of that. Uh, so so um, the container uh, segment has definitely been back in favor, I think. So, Constantine. Uh First question, uh, what do you think the main driver for the rapid rebound and consistent momentum in the volumes are? Well, while there are obviously a number of contributing factors in assessing this really, I would say, complex and unusual macroeconomic picture, I would like to highlight three um, which have contributed positively. Firstly, obviously, there is to some extent a catch-up effect that has taken place uh, recently. I'm sure we'll touch on that as we go through. Secondly, while the virus outbreak uh, initially caused kind of severe supply chain issues in China, the country recovered very quickly with its production capacities and inventory buildup uh, in an incredible pace. And, and hence, they were basically back on track in time for a, a retail consumption recovery that, that we have seen. And thirdly, the pandemic has brought along quite a set of more structural changes. This implies, on the one hand, container trade growth momentum that basically goes beyond short-term catch-up effects. Um, and support uh, basically longer-term growth. Um, and this is probably not visible at first glance, but also on that end, I'm sure we'll touch upon that, but it includes global sourcing patterns that have ch- changed um, and, uh, and and other factors. And we, we actually see also a accelerated shift towards e-commerce, which also has a significant impact on, on container volumes. So all of these are data points that I, I believe have contributed quite a bit to uh, to the increased uh, volumes recently. Just to 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 touch on that, it's uh, it's been more or less a, a global recovery, and you've seen the the COVID effects. They've 
circled the globe, uh, starting in Asia and then uh, coming to to uh, to Europe and then the U.S. with uh, with differentiating uh, impacts at different times of the year. But um, the the recovery that we're seeing now, uh, which uh, which lanes are are there any geographies that have stood out in your view, and and how do these match the the exposure in MPC? Well, although basically. All trades have benefited, and, and freight rates are at ten-year highs. Some certainly stand out when examining, for example, the Shanghai Containerized Freight Index. I mean, in terms of volume, certainly Trans-Pacific has has kind of started to 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 grow most significantly as a as a starter, and freight rates on Trans-Pacific routes are up uh, March to December, one hundred ninety percent, roughly. Um, comparably, Shanghai Europe trades have increased by more than 200% by now. And lastly, and I think very importantly, intra-regional trades being the routes that uh, that are served by the MPCC fleet, they have seen a very strong growth. Uh, one prime example being Shanghai Southeast Asia trades, where freight rates have increased close to 500% during the second half of, of the year. So, so that gives you a, a picture in terms of freight rates and in terms of volumes. I mean, um, uh, year on year for October, we're we are around 5% up in terms of volumes, showing that this is a very strong uh, market. So initially, larger container vessels saw uh, the benefits of uh, soaring time charter rates while smaller tonnage more recently as the in-time charter rates uh, pick up pace. Uh, in your view, where, where do the current strength uh, in the container market reside? Well, the easy but somewhat diffuse answer is that, that this really depends strongly on, on private consumption and international sourcing patterns going forward. Um, ocean-going containerized freight has both economies of scale and also greenhouse gas emission advantages over sea and land-based transportation, which admittedly is also part of, uh, you know, the the supply chain. Um, moreover, the shift in international sourcing trading pattern, uh, which was brought forward by the US-Sino trade conflict and accelerated further by COVID-19 in particular, uh, is already fostering seaborne trade, especially benefiting intra-regional routes where the MPCC fleet operates in so in terms of that the the interregional demand or, or the demand for interregional vessels which i guess is where you're primarily exposed um is this to 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 count as a spillover effect from a very shortage of capacity on the long haul routes um and how would if that were to uh, reverse uh, how how would that impact be on on the regional trades or does the regional market sort of stand for itself in your view well first of all obviously a strong market is good for for all vessel sizes right i think that's the starting point and obviously there is a bit of a spillover effect um of course however i don't believe that this is the 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 only uh, let's say point to to look at and, and i would again emphasize that the structural changes in, in trade sourcing taking place in in an effort to mitigate supply chain risks is another important factor um, the benefits for example to intra-regional trades are already visible and in fact we we do observe a form of reverse cascading uh, wherein smaller and more flexible container vessels are being favored over larger tonnage on certain trade lanes um, as an example Whilst 3% of TU traded on intra-regional trades uh, were carried by vessels larger than 7,500 TU in 2019, these vessels have been completely removed from the same trades uh, during 2020. Um, and in addition, while long-haul trades are forecasted to grow by 5% per annum until 2024, 
intra-regional trades are expected to grow at a pace of around 6% per annum during the same period. So I, I think uh, there are also other effects like the, the newly established free trade zone in Asia, which will certainly positively contribute on intra-regional trade itself and not necessarily on, uh, on the long-haul tonnage. So I guess the question investors are uh, asking themselves is whether the demand momentum is uh, sustainable or uh, if restocking effects uh, inflate apparent uh, demand. Uh, it's a hard question, Konstantin, but uh, do you deem the current momentum as uh, sustainable? And, and, and if so, for how long? Well, as, as explained, I mean, the, the current momentum is fueled by a mix of short-term catch-up effects, for sure, but also mid-to-long-term structural shifts and, and solid market fundamentals, and, and thus... Uh, is, is not sustainable in the same pace as we observe during the fall of this year. Um, however, with that mentioned and leaving aside, let's say, the risk of another unforeseeable demand disruption, there are various data points that suggest the continuation of the positive trend. And, and we are, in fact, pretty much encouraged by the longer-term prospects of the container markets. Um, to give you a few examples, I mean, and I, I referred to it earlier, the establishment of the world's largest free trade zone in Asia-Pacific region is expected to drive economic growth in that region, um, which is a relevant factor. Furthermore, I mean, the Biden administration will, will certainly, I mean, they can basically not afford a weakening of the U.S. economy, so they will also push forward with a large economic stimulus package in 2021. Um, so that's important. Then zooming in on the supply-demand fundamentals for the container shipping industry, the order book to fleet ratio is at a historical low and strongly biased towards larger tonnage. So for smaller tonnage, there is a near zero fleet growth until at least 2022, as Newbels needs up to 24 months to, to enter the market. And this picture is not expected to change anytime soon, as ship owners and investors are hesitant to place large orders, especially on smaller tonnage due to propulsion and fuel uncertainties. So finally, there's also the average age, which is relatively old, in particular for the smaller tonnage, with 38% of the fleet being older than 15 years. And, uh, and uh, lastly, and I mentioned that before, in sharp contrast to this near zero fleet growth, for the next couple of years, intra-regional demand is expected to grow at 6% per annum until 2024. So we, we, we see this as a very solid um, kind of uh, fundamentals uh, going forward. So one of the one of the quoted reasons for the soaring box rates um, have been simply logistical issues with the getting the boxes to where they should be. Um, so that's disrupted somewhat and caused even more upward pressure on, on box rates. Um, in your view, how, how big of a contributor has that been for the in the SCFI index and, and, and the box rates we've seen uh, recently? Well, equipment shortages is definitely one prominent contributor to the uh, increase in freight rates. And at present, we see no increased availability. So the availability of, of box containers in China remains at record low levels. Uh, furthermore, the length of time equipment is sitting in sitting empty, basically, and idle in certain depots is actually increasing despite the high level of demand. With equipment sitting idle on average for about 45 days uh, and in, in regions with very low container availability, such as, for example, the US and China, for more than 60 days. So we believe that, that this will continue to constrain the market at least uh, well into Q1, if not Q2 next year. So I think it's important to remind the listeners that um, the container segment, it's it's partly two 
uh, two different segments. Uh, you have the liners on one end, which is Maersk and the likes of them that uh, operate, you know, according to the box rates, the cost of moving one box from A to B. Um, and then you have such as yourselves, Konstantin, MPCC, which are uh, renting out their tonnage to these liners uh, on time charter rates in the more traditional sort of shipping market. So we call them non-operating owners. And uh, what's been amazing to see this year is that uh, coming into the summer, you had a major spike in uh, idle capacity in the container fleet, which meant that the liners had pushed out as much and reduced capacity as much as they could in anticipation of very low demand. Um, and that was close to 12% idling in May. Uh, now the latest numbers that we see, you know, you're at 1.5% of the fleet idle at the moment. So that's reversed quite dramatically. Um, so the market conditions initially, they favored the liners with the high box rate and limited capacity on board vessels. And that's been spilling over to the non-operating owners, such as yourself on the time charter rates, which have come up quite considerably. Uh, so I think an important question here is, as we see the idle capacity shrinking, as it has been now, and at these very low levels, how has this impacted the power balance between the traditional liners on one side uh, and the non-operating owners on the other side, like yourself? Well, first of all, I mean, charter rates or charter periods, rather, have increased notably, whilst redelivery spreads, so, so the time when you can be redelivered out of a charter, have, have decreased significantly. And we are presently seeing charter periods of 6 to 12 months for vessels up to 1,700 TU and periods between 1 and up to 3 years for vessel sizes between 1,700 TU and 5,000 TU, for example. So improving charter rates in combination with longer periods is very encouraging for container tonnage providers such as ourselves and, and certainly a good indicator for where the market currently stands. Um, it, it is an important indicator because firstly, it provides owners with the opportunity to lock in longer periods at interesting rates and cash yields. And secondly, it has a significant impact on the availability of tonnage for the next couple of months. So vessels fixed for longer periods will be unavailable to the charter market for a certain period, which will positively contribute to a more stable charter market um, and also for the smaller sizes. And whilst the average charter rate for vessels between one to to three thousand TU in June, for example, was six thousand four hundred dollars, with a highly flexible, let's say, periods charter periods, so short period and flexible redelivery spreads, this has changed uh, for the same basket. You are now looking at at around fourteen thousand um, dollars, and the average kind of uh, contract duration is more in the vicinity of eleven months. So this leads to a decrease in the redelivery risk exposure for tonnage providers like ourselves. As more and more fixtures get renewed, uh, fewer vessels are trading within their redelivery spread. And that means vessels that are fixed now and have been fixed over the last couple of weeks will not, or at least on average, will not become open until end of uh, 2021. And this will in turn positively impact the stability of the charter market in the quarters ahead. Uh, especially if the trend continues, which is presently our expectation. So, so there's clearly um, a, a different set of um, dynamics in the market at the moment. As box rates uh, soared, authorities in both the US and China started to exert pressure on liners, with the Chinese authorities calling major liners in for a meeting to discuss the rising box rates, uh, whilst US authorities most recently increased its uh, monitoring of uh, the three biggest container alliances. Uh, in your view, what effect will uh, regulato regulatory pressure uh, have on the market, and, and could it cap rates? 
Yeah, I think this is a, obviously a highly political uh, subject, and, and the sit situation is clearly market-driven. And, and at least our understanding is that the Chinese authorities have recently arranged meetings with uh, with the large liner companies, wherein the the shipping executive are informed that the Chinese authorities are unhappy with the current situation and that they do not want freight rates to increase further. We cannot see that authorities have have the capabilities to actually cap global freight rates technically, but they might encourage, to put it that way, liners to do so in order to increase capacity. So spot freight rates are assumed to fall probably following peak season demand, which which came relatively late this year. And once the, the empty equipment imbalances are resolved, hence not until next year. Um, um, so if freight rates do fall, we assume regulators will not take further actions. So uh, MPCC seems to be uh, nicely situated for uh, an upturn uh, with 40 fixtures expected concluded between uh, December and end of uh, Q2 2021. Uh, how far in advance of uh, the charter expiry are the vessels now fixed and have this changed since uh, rates started climbing? Well, talks between charters and, and ourselves normally commence upon receipt of, of re-delivery notices from charters, which is usually 30 days prior to uh, charter expiry. Uh, presently, charters try to keep the vessels for as long as possible, uh, which means until the maximum period possible under the charter parties, because most of the charters that are now rolled over are concluded at, at lower rates, right? So... Uh, this is one one aspect. Furthermore, we see that charters recently uh, have reached out uh, on early extensions. Uh, I mean, not throughout the bench, but uh, on, on selective vessels. Um, we have, for example, been um, approached for, for extensions for February positions, which is fairly unusual and uh, reflects kind of the, the market dynamics, uh, which are positive from our perspective, of, of course. Um, so, so this is uh, the picture on that end. So what uh, durations do you expect to, to average your, your fixtures on now uh, and maybe compared to how that was just for a small while back? Um, well, during Q4, which I think is a good indicator because the market regained strength then, uh, we have so far concluded 26 charter fixtures uh, since 1st of November and excluding, let's say, small positioning voyages, um, we have fixed 10 vessels at an average rate of around $13,000 and an average period of around 11 months. Uh, so that gives you an idea of where, where the market stands. Uh, we have another two fixtures until end of this year. We have 18 uh, and 13 fixtures in Q1 and Q2, respectively. Um, and at the same time, we are also exploring some longer-term charters. But generally, we expect to stay somewhere in the in the 12 to to 18 months blended um, uh, region in terms of charter duration on on average if from from an investor point of view then you know look at what kind of uh, what kind of uh, uh, rates you're expected to fix for for the coming period if the markets stay where they are you know will you you'd essentially be covered well into 2022 at these kinds of levels so uh, that uh, that must be exciting uh, yes, I mean it is. I mean this this market is is the market we have all been been waiting for, right? Because the the last two years uh, the demand side has has had some surprises up their sleeve um, for us with trade war and and obviously the COVID disruption. But now we are in a market where where on the back of hardly or very limited order book we see solid demand growth and certainly a bit of an exaggeration at the moment. But going into twenty one with this charter coverage, we are we're extremely um, positive. 
So with the prospects of, of strong earnings, uh, have you started planning how to use uh, future cash at hand? Um, I mean, are you looking into to dividends or debt repayment or, or maybe a bit of both? Well, indeed, we, we, we do have a very strong operational leverage. Uh, and on an annualized basis with present rates, we look at a very strong uh, cash generation. So, so a key strategic element in terms of capital allocation and use of, use of cash um, going forward, we, we, we certainly want to financially delever the company and position MPCC to become uh, a dividend stock with low leverage and, and low residual value risk. Um, so besides this, obviously reallocating our capital in order to create value by way of, let's say, portfolio optimization, i.e. executing maybe selective sales and acquisitions is obviously a continuous task for a shipping company. And we would also follow that track. But more relevant, as I said, is that, that we want to financially deliver de the company going forward with, uh, with excess cash. Mm. So what's the values? They uh, have lagged behind the time charter rates as uh, few sales have been uh, concluded. Uh, have you witnessed uh, any development in uh, the S&P market uh, through either rumors or direct inquiries? Indeed. I mean, secondhand prices have been lagging behind the development of charter rates, which is, however, a common effect, right? Usually we look at uh, one to two months time lag. This time, due to the steepness of the recovery and also the uncertainty about the sustainability of the rate recovery, the time lag was slightly longer. Um, however, we have over the past few weeks observed significant increase in secondhand transactions, number of transactions, and also values as well. Um, and I personally expect that secondhand prices will continue to increase headed by the larger vessels, uh, especially as long as it is possible to lock in longer period charters uh, at present charter rate levels. So this will inevitably follow in terms of uh, um, picking up of, of asset values. You, uh, in terms of allocating capital to potentially vessels i think uh, an interesting question is uh, or an observation is that you sold uh, you, you recently sold the vessel uh, an older one um, and given that the, the vessel values have not started to reflect the underlying earnings potential do you see any potential for accretive transactions and fleet growth or is focus more on uh, fleet renewal or how's your stance on on the size of the fleet today and and how you look uh, look into the future well, overall, we believe that our portfolio is, is ideally positioned to benefit from, from the prosperous charter market outlook um, due to our significant operational leverage and, and the upcoming charter renewals, as we've discussed before. Right? Having said that, we're obviously looking at opportunities in the market, both in terms of reallocating our capital, as I, as I mentioned, um, by, by probably improving earnings capacity on individual assets. Um, but as long as asset values do not fully reflect the earnings potential, um, MPCC is able to lock in this potential in order to de-risk the investment and enhance the company's balance sheet. And uh, our, all our action uh, is always focused on, on this and follows the goal of continuously delivering the company with, uh, with the goal to, uh, to be ready to pay out dividends um, um, uh, to investors. So uh, to try to sum this up uh, at the end, uh, Konstantin, uh, would you say that uh, both you and uh, all your investors have uh, several reasons to uh, continue to be optimistic going into 2021? 
Yes, I think the the kind of short term momentum, which is obviously all over the, uh, uh, it's like an overriding perception that people think, well, is that sustainable? There is certainly a bit of an exaggeration in the market at the moment. Having said that, if you look at the, you know, very rationally at the at the fundamentals in terms of supply and demand for tonnage. There's certainly all reason to be optimistic because there's hardly any order book in, in the smaller sizes, basically a, a, almost zero supply growth. Um, and at least going into 2021, I expect not a steep growth as we have seen over the last couple of weeks and months, but a steady growth of somewhere between 4 and 6% of global volumes which will inevitably lead to a very balanced market for next year. So I'm I'm very positive to to go into 2021. Okay, that uh, wraps it up for today. Thank you again for uh, joining us today, Konstantin. Uh, uh, very interesting. Uh, thank you also to you, Jürgen. And uh, finally, thank you to everyone for listening. Denne podcasten og dets innehåll skal anses som markedsføringsmateriell fra DNB og må ikke oppfattes som investeringsanbefaling eller som investeringsanalyse. Innehållet skal heller ikke anses for att være investeringsrådgivning tilpasset den enkelte kundes behov. Informasjonen som gis i podcasten er kun ment som generell spareveiledning og er ikke ment å utgjøre juridisk, finansiell, kommersiell, skattemessig eller regnskapsmessig rådgivning. Innholdet i sendingen er ikke gjennomgått eller godkjent av DNB Markets avdeling for analyse. Alle uttalelser reflekterer DNBs vurderinger på tidspunktet for den aktuelle sendingen, og kan i etterkant endres uten nærmere beskjed. DNB er ikke ansvarlig for hvordan informasjonen i podcasten benyttes eller tolkes. Informasjonen som henviser til historisk avkastning i finansielle instrumenter, en finansiell indeks eller prognoser, gir ingen garanti for fremtidig avkastning. DNB gjør oppmerksom på at enhver investering i et finansielt instrument er forbundet med risiko for økonomisk tap. Finansielle instrumenter kan både øke og minske verdi, slik at avkastning kan bli negativ som følge av kursfall. DNB tar intet ansvar for direkte eller indirekte tap og kostnader som måtte oppstå ved bruk av den information som gis i podcasten.